Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 190 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked, and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks for tuning in and thanks for being with us today on the podcast. On today's episode, we are chatting with Jessie May Morgan. Now, Jessie races enduro, she writes, she vlogs, and she blogs for BikeRumor.com, and she is just totally in love with mountain biking. We chat to her about how she got interested in mountain biking through her parents and how after attending her first race event, she just got totally hooked on the sport. We also chat to her about her training schedule and how she's taken that to the next level and changed it over the last year or so, making her fitter and faster and just more skillful on the bike. We also chat to her about what it's like working for Bike Rumour and how she came to land her dream job. We also chat about the Dirt Fund project and how that has helped her fund her road to the Enduro World Series. We get into all this and much, much more. So without further ado, let's get Jessie May on the MTB Tribe podcast. Hi, Jessie May. Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. How's things with you this evening? Hi Gareth, um, I'm pretty well, thank you. Uh, actually, I've been better. I uh, crashed my mountain bike there on uh, Sunday at Flangoffland, so um, I'm a wee bit sore. I, def- I got away with it, but um, yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> oh wow. Okay, what happened? Um, I was uh, doing some telemetry based uh, suspension testing with a guy called Dave who runs Dial Telemetry. Okay. Um, and uh, I was riding some of the downhill tracks at One Giant Leap in Flangoffen. Um And I, I just, I was riding a track called Ride Portugal. And uh, yeah, just um, the, the bike's running faster now. And as a result, my braking is not ideal. <laughs> so I um, just surprised myself a wee bit and got sent down a rocky gully. Um, but I think I think I've got... I went to see the physio yesterday, and I've I've got a small tear in my trapezius muscle, um, which is is not a big deal. It'll be fine soon. Where's Hopefully that? Hopefully, it'll be ready for the weekend. Um, I th- I think it's uh you know like the big muscle on top of your shoulder. Okay. Um, it kind of inserts into the the back of your neck there, so it feels like I've hurt my neck, but it's actually a a tear in the trapezius muscle. Wow, wow. Like, do you think your accident was caused with you pushing a little bit more because you were you were doing, you know, this suspension test day? Was it like a was it a data acquisition kind of thing you were doing, setting up the bike and the suspension? Yeah, uh well dial telemetry they use um something called motion instruments and that measures the behaviour of your fork and the behaviour of your uh, rear shock mm-hmm. um, um, basically it tries to balance the two so yeah um, it was kind of like towards the end of the day and we we found like what was what we thought was a really balanced um, good setup and um, I'd been riding one track called Son of Squirrel all day and then um, we moved on to the new track um, the Ride Portugal track so it was my first time down it and um, for anyone, for anyone's ridden it, you'll know there's there's like a very steep gully that it kind of sends you down one side and then back up the other and then back down and back up. It's kind of like it's kind of a bit, a bit like a like a half pipe, right? With a trail on it, um, and I just I just came down a, a very steep section into a big compression and got sent up the banking on the other side much faster and much higher than I really had intended to go um, and I just didn't make the turn and just ended up in the gully but oh. I'll live, I'll live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah half pipes scare me anyway uh, I remember I was at I think it was teen maybe we were there one year and they had a super pipe a super half pipe and I went down the thing 
and honestly, this thing had like 20 foot walls of ice. And I was in the snowboard and I just ended up going straight down the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> straight lines only. <laughs> yeah. um, I've been on half pipes before, but nothing like that. It scared the, it just, no. I was just like one turn, you know, a quarter of the way up and I was like, no, nah, I'm done. Just, yeah. uh, you know. I'll just take my take take the people shouting at me on the way down. I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I guess you just like T-bone everyone riding it or snowboarding <laughs> it if you go down the middle. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, there was nobody really in front of me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, crazy. So, like, does stuff like that, does accidents, crashes, does it put you off at all? Um, not really. Um, I've, I mean, I've having said that i've never had a very bad accident um so that could change <laughs> um but so yeah I've, i don't think i've ever hurt myself sufficiently enough to to now be scared of crashing yeah i'm yeah. happy to to push my limit kind of in you know mm-hmm. yeah I'm cool aware, i'm not aware of, of of how bad it could be <laughs> obviously i am you know but not not I don't have like a direct example yeah. of how bad it could be. Um, yeah, well, try and keep it that way. That's <laughs> ideal. <laughs> how did you find the suspension test day overall? Because I had um, Nick Lester on the show, and he's he's the founder of Dynamics, who do the Standex system kind of data acquisition stuff. It yeah. sounds absolutely f- fantastic. Like. From your perspective as a writer, like how did you find it? Did it did it make you faster? Did it make you ride slightly different? Like how did you come away from that day? Um, well, I th- I thought that Dave's um, process was super logical and like he explained it really well. Um, obviously I've got a bit of knowledge about suspension and things, but um, not to the degree that he does so it was really cool to have him you know draw some graphs and explain what was going on um we changed we changed the bike so that um basically we realized i was running a too soft a setup um because i was blowing through the travel really easily bottoming out the shock and the fork um too often so we ended up um adding two volume spaces to the shock um and adding a little bit of air to the fork and yeah basically got it to a point where the um obviously we changed um a couple of the adjusters as well you know the the low speed compression um and rebound and we got it we got it to a point where the behavior of the front axle was almost the same as the behavior of the rear axle so mm-hmm. you get it you get it to a point where the where the bike's geometry doesn't really ever change dramatically as you're riding it because because those two axles are kind of um oscillating about the same point in space okay. if that makes sense um so as the day as the day went on i kind of felt like the bike was kind of carrying speed faster over over rougher sections um it kind of it wasn't like getting hung up on you know with when it hits like square edges like um you know half roots and rocks and things mm-hmm kind of just carried momentum over stuff mm, like wow, that better okay. which is why i'm saying that my braking was out because i was then coming into sections with a lot more speed than i was maybe expecting to um yeah so it was really yeah. cool it was it was a good learning experience actually you know for, for the future for for setting up bikes in general um yeah, yeah i think the technology that you that dave uses motion instruments is um slightly different to what dynamics are using mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's fewer sensors so just yeah i don't know i, I don't want to talk too much about it because um because i'm i'm not an expert so <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah but at the end of the day it, it helps you get the bike set up for your weight and how you ride and everything like that so effectively it does make the bike probably feel better to you right you know you're going faster and stuff but the bike probably feels more grounded and stuff did you have anything like that going on yeah yeah the bike felt like way more balanced you know when you Mm. kind of 
whether you when you get a whether it's intent, intentional or not um I, I ended up in a position where I wasn't feeling like I was getting bucked by the rear end um which which is where I was at before that day um but what I'm really interested to do and I haven't been able to yet is is to test that setup on uh, my home tracks in the uh, Tweed Valley in Scotland mm-hmm. um because while while it felt mega fast and it felt really good for those tracks down in Flangoflin the terrain we ride here is really different the, the tracks are a lot slower steeper more technical um got a lot more rough sections um so it'll be interesting to see whether whether that setup that we kind of decided was optimal for Flangoflin will also be optimal for for riding here yeah it's interesting isn't it and it's that's, that's my aim at the weekend to go out and ride kind of my favorite tracks and um see how it goes yeah 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 it's very interesting from an enduro kind of perspective because it's not like downhill where you're kind of on the same track you know from from the top to the bottom enduro is very different in that way you know and you race enduro obviously um and i want to get into that a wee bit later and i want to chat about um the dirt fund project and you work at bike rumor and stuff like that so we'll get into that um but yeah you say you're from tweed valley in scotland like how did you get into mountain biking at the start jesse may like what interested you in it um well i'm actually not from the tweed valley i'm actually from um uh the valleys in south wales okay Uh, so um yeah, I, th- I think it's a bit confusing. I think it was a bit confusing for everyone when um, it was announced that I won, that, that I was awarded the Dirt Fund project uh, money as a Welsh privateer because everyone knows that I live in Scotland and I have done for about four or five years now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I kind of, I've always ridden, uh, I've always ridden bikes, you know, um, kind of got into cycling through my dad um come from a family of cyclists and road cyclists mainly but but my dad used to train on his mountain bike for the road cycling so I kind of went out a lot with him mm-hmm. um but it wasn't until it wasn't until like I was around like age 23 24 that I started riding kind of proper trails you know it was before that it was all kind of like journey style rides across open top mountains but it wasn't until I came to Scotland that I discovered downhill trails and like what wicked fun that could be. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'd moved to Edinburgh and I was doing a PhD there. Um, and more and more, I kept I kept coming down to the Tweed Valley to ride with um, a group of friends who I'd met through a coaching company called Swift Trails. Um, mm-hmm. That's run by my friend Lucy. Um, and that's that was kind of a Wednesday evening kind of social group for women that that wanted to to ride. So we we would start by riding um, the blue and red trails at Glentress, which is probably the most popular trail centre in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so start started riding their loads, and then there was like there was a small contingent in that group that were really keen to like. Or go and find the off-piece trails and see what else what else was you know the place had to offer and um yeah so it kind of just snowballed from there like oh, you know, oh look at trail forks and be like oh there's this there's this track and it's labeled black and it's not part of the trail center let's go and see what what that does <laughs> so uh kind of just egg each other on being like oh i found this found this orange graded one um up a place called golfy let's go and ride that one <laughs> um so kind of, yeah yeah good uh good environment good community there um like was there other girls riding with you as well or was it a mixture of guys and girls um the swift trails social groups were um and are just for women um so yeah it kind of started started riding just with women um yeah 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 that's interesting and do they do those ladies still ride do you still go out with them at, at times 
yeah, yeah, they're all still riding. Wow. Um, kind of haven't been able to ride with so many of them, you know, through lockdown and things. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, the, the group is the group is expanded. Um, still, still folks riding the the kind of the easier trails at Glentress. Um, but I know they've they've formed you know a couple of groups now based mm-hmm. on you know ability and ambition sort of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, here in the Tweed Valley, there's, there's I think an unusually high number of uh, women and girls riding mountain bikes. Um, I think that you see you see a lot of people who come to visit. And you see them surprised at how many women are on the uplift, for example. Um, I remember Jim Buchanan from um, Pin TV came down mm-hmm. um, one weekend and I was riding the uplift with him and he just couldn't get over the number of um, women riding bikes in the valley and not just riding bikes, but riding bikes really well. Yeah. Uh, he was a bit taken aback by it. Yeah, why do you think that is? Well, that's the thing. I wonder whether I wonder whether we do have an, an unusually high number of women riding in this valley. Um, yeah, I, d- I don't know why that is, actually. I mean, it is one of the most popular places in the UK to ride. And actually, a lot of people who, who live here have come, have come to live here specifically to ride bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not really representative of like you know the population in general mm-hmm. the people who live here um, the people a lot of the people and friends with seem to have prioritised uh, you know time and riding their bike over kind of career development and you know chasing mm-hmm. money kind of thing yeah yeah it's really nice yeah um, so yeah it's that lifestyle kind of mentality a lot of people either move to the coast to go surfing or they move to the mountains to ride bikes or hike or do something like that and it's 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 not weird because i i see it all the time i live in a surfing town here and you know um it's surprising how many people do it it's crazy maybe the way to think about it but yeah you you take your your hobbies over your work and making money (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. it's healthy though it's healthy um so let's chat about racing so how did you kind of get into the racing then what sparked you to get into that off of the back of just riding and enjoying your your ride out with your friends and things like how, how did that all happen or come about it was the girls i was riding with with the swift trails group who said oh there's an enduro going on in the valley um it's called Valleluia. uh they a couple of them had done it the year before and they were like oh you should do it it'll be really fun like they were like oh you think you'll you'll do well so um i went along and did that so that was my first enduro mm-hmm. and they were along with you were they yeah yeah okay. it was it's, you don't have to be seated or anything it's super relaxed enduro it's one of the kind of tweed valley triple crown events that tweed love run um, okay. And it's meant to be the kind of easier one of the three, so I thought, oh, that'll be a great start, you know, see if I like it. Um, and it was, it was really good, yeah. Yeah, cool. Did, did you think the racing thing is something you would have got into when you started riding bikes? You know, when you started to get a wee bit more serious and started to really enjoy it, did you think the racing thing was for you that it'd be something you'd be keen to do? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've, I mean, I've always been quite a competitive person. I've mm-hmm. competed in other sports and that before. Um, so as soon as I did that first enduro race, I had the bug. That was me. I was like, right, where are, where are these other events? When can I do them? I want to do them all. <laughs> <laughs> because it, I found that like it was it was a really good way to force yourself to progress on the bike and that's kind of what I was addicted to was riding new trails riding harder trails getting down them and surviving yeah um so with that first enduro they took us to a woods um called Cademuir which is just on the other side of Peebles um and 
that's got some really quite steep technical trails on it. So I just remember like feeling the best buzz ever having having ridden some of those tracks in the race. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, so from there I was like, right, I'm gonna enter the rest of the Triple Crown and I'm gonna enter some national events and I'm gonna enter, you know, just just anything I could. Yeah. Yeah, and were the other girls you you read with were they as keen to do the same? Uh, yeah, um, my friend Claire, she did most of my kind of first collection of enduros with me. Um, she was the one who kind of pushed me to enter that first one. So did did a good few races with her, but she's she's probably a more well rounded individual than I am. She she rides other bikes as well, so right. <laughs> she uh, she hasn't she hasn't since like done all of the races with me she just mm-hmm. crashed on and things like that more well-rounded okay. as i say okay yeah yeah but you're you've got hooked into the mtb side of things the enduro side of things um i was looking at your results your race results and you know i think probably the worst the worst result you had there was at the f- I think it was the Red Bull Fox Hunt, right, in 2018. You were ninth out of 165. So, yeah. <laughs> like, your results are very, very impressive. Uh, huh. Like, is it something you thought you would be so good at when you went to that first race? Uh, well, I definitely wasn't super good at that first race. <laughs> Not by any means. Um, but I... But I do remember being like pleasantly surprised that I wasn't, you know, totally useless at it. Is and that? Did you come part, fifth? Did you come fifth in that race? You know what? I can't remember. You probably know. I don't know. I'm just going on Roots and Rain here to have a look because I honestly can't remember. Was it the very first race on Roots, uh, on Roots and Rain there, the 9th of June, 2017? Check oh. it out. If it is, you still... Oh, no, that's the uh, Enjoyro. Enjoyro. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, so I've got my own history wrong. So, like... <laughs> so uh, that was your first so, race. So very, yeah, I think I, I, kind of, I guess I kind of consider the Valleluia race as my first proper Enduro because, well, because it was, it was the first kind of enduro i did that wasn't introductory oh god yeah i've completely forgotten that i did the the hope tech women's enduro as well that was awesome yeah. uh at gisborne forest that's a mega popular event yeah but like you're, you're saying you didn't do too well you still beat 71 percent of your competitors you know like did you not know at that time that you had a bit of a spot you, you were good at this you know well i i was oh, like I, yeah, as I say, I was like pleasantly surprised that that I'd done all right, and that was that was part of what I then got addicted to was mm. oh, you know, seeing seeing where I'd like stacked up in a field, going oh, I'm I'm at the faster end of things rather than the slower end of things, and that was always like that was always a surprise for me, um, and like felt amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's why I wanted to do more and more and more to see, like, how far I could push it. Yeah, because I take it at this time you weren't really training for enduro as such. I take it you weren't going in the gym and doing specific mountain bike training stuff. You were just going out and riding bikes with friends, right? Is that is that the way it was then? Yeah, like two to three times a week. Yeah. Um, mostly riding Glentress and whatever else I could encourage my friends to come and ride with me <laughs> <laughs> you were always the motivator they needed you if you weren't going nobody else went <laughs> well me, me and claire were always trying to persuade the others to come and ride the off-piece trails with us and with yeah varying success so. yeah cool is there any of the races there stand out to you um how many races have you been involved in there well, Quite a few. you mentioned the uh red bull fox and how i came ninth and mm-hmm. uh yeah, I was uh, responsible for a rather large pileup. Oh dear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was all grand in um in the kind of the qualifier because obviously that you 
everyone gets like a clean run on their own before the mass start. Mm-hmm. Decide where you end up on the kind of start grid. Um, and I seeded eleventh, so I was I was just I was just one back off the off the kind of front line. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, like when the start gun went, I'm like tearing down the hill, like trying to stay on the wheel of these girls who are all faster than me. Um, so when it turned into single track, then because I was keeping up with a girl called um, Tony Fryer in front of me, I was taking lines that I hadn't been taking in the practice runs. Okay. And then I carried like a ton more speed into a left, like an unsupported left, um, than I was expecting to and just completely lost the front wheel. Like panicked, got up, looked behind me and there's like three or four girls like just dominoed behind me like (laughs) looking for their bikes like what happened (laughs) and I'm like oh dear sorry (laughs) like picking my bike up and and, uh, carrying on so like what was it like eight girls would have gone through the finish and uh, there was was a rather large gap between between them and and then me bumbling down afterwards yeah wow uh but the red bull thing's crazy like you know do you enjoy that kind of mass start thing do you get a kick out of that um that was the only one i've ever done um and it was it was awesome actually it was it was really cool to be like like you know riding down like the the open bit at the beginning where it's it's like really wide and you're just like hammering it down a grassy slope Mm-hmm. And then it gets kind of narrower and narrower, and there's kind of some like chicane turns as it before, just before it turns into single track. So on those sections, it was really exciting because you could kind of like cut inside and just overtake loads of people in one go. Um, so I found that pretty thrilling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's contagious that kind of thing for sure. Now you've been racing since. 2017 have you seen the scene change any in those three four years has there been any more girls in it have you seen anything you know have you seen it become more popular uh no really not racing um i'm just looking at the uh numbers here on roots and rain and there there isn't if anything, there's a decrease in the number of women that have been racing in my category. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether that's kind of just a feature of the kind of how I've started, how I started riding those kind of easier enduros, and then I've progressed to riding the harder ones. But um, no, not in racing. It's actually still still a really low number of women. Yeah, racing them, which is sad because you know when you when you're racing you you want to you want a big stacked competitive field to kind of spur you on and you you want lots of people to chase basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, I I would find it very difficult to comment on whether I've seen more women taking part in, in the sport in general. What about you in your area? I think there possibly is, but it's not a major increase. Um, I think it can vary a little bit, you know. Um, but I think since the COVID thing and the pandemic and everything, you know, I would hope to think we'll see more more girls out on the trails. Like, certainly I know there's more families and stuff getting involved, um, but I would love to see more girls out riding and I would love to see them take that to the race events as well because i don't know for you but you're you're at the very competitive end of it but the enduro stuff is just a really good couple of days out you know what i mean it's really social really great community there's a lot happening it's a brilliant experience and i wish a lot of people would look at it more so from that kind of aspect you know of just being with other fellow riders and enjoying the experience um you know, so I wish I wish they could get and maybe see a wee bit more of that side of it. You know, do you like the social side as well? Yeah, definitely. Like the social side of of, of racing enduro was a major attraction because 
I mean, it's, it's, it's so different to, to like an XC race, for example, where you just hammer yourself for an hour and a half. And, mm. um, but because, of course, you just just ride around with your mates, have a, cra- have a crack and have a chat on your way around, talk about how good or bad your last run was um, <laughs> in the run up to the next one. And so it's only serious for those, you know, short sections that you're actually racing. Um, yeah. And the rest of the time, it's just a really cool opportunity to like meet other riders, um, gather more riding pals. Um, yeah, I guess it's, a. Uh, I met, I met a lot of people through, through racing that I now ride with on a regular basis. So, yeah. Um, it's good for that but I mean I, I don't know like I think it's I think it's okay in a way that that um not everybody wants to race mm-hmm. um I totally respect that but I don't think it has to be always about competing and um it's just great to see everyone out on the trails having fun sessioning bits you know more people some people are just are just into progressing but not progressing in order to go and win races but progressing because they enjoy that process um and yeah. i think that's really important yeah definitely yeah. definitely no you don't you don't have to get into the the scene or the sport or whatever to race definitely not it's not for everybody um for sure like as far as being a privateer or like yourself you know like how do you balance all that kind of stuff with work and things like that? Is it not quite difficult? Um, well, I'm really lucky in that I work for Bike Rumour. Um, so I'm a like journalist. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> it helps a lot, yeah, because obviously part of my job is to test new opponents, new bikes and things. So um, yeah, that kind of goes hand in hand with my training. Like I have to spend time on the bike to test those products properly mm-hmm. um so i that's kind of how i work it i spend i spend every morning um training out on the bike and then i'm at the desk then in the afternoon so i've kind of found a really good balance there yeah 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 like bike rumor is um Tell us a little bit about it. You you write for them, is that right? And you vlog for them? Yeah. Um, I kind of started writing for them a good few years ago now, and it was just on a kind of very casual basis whereby I would write the odd news post for them, maybe like literally like as few as one or two a month in the beginning. Um, and that was while I was still doing my PhD, um, and then uh, I kind of started taking on more work with them, write, writing more and more news posts. And they literally are just, just you know, a lot of it is just small news posts because we focus a lot on um, talking about whatever new products are out that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as I, as I got more experience writing and as I got more experience writing, um, they started allowing me to uh, test components um, and bikes. So I've been to a couple of uh, bike launch events in Europe, which have been super fun. Um, went to the went to an e-bike launch in Spain. Went to trail bike launch in Germany. Um, yeah, it's pretty awesome actually. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think working for Bike Rumor? And getting the knowledge behind these components and bikes and getting to test this new stuff and this high-end stuff. Do you think it actually helps with your riding? Do you think it makes you a faster rider? Um, I think I think it definitely makes me uh, a more kind of present rider because I'm constantly having to think about, you know, how this new product is, is affecting the ride feel of the bike. Um so I guess I, I guess previously I, I'd ride and enjoy it and not really think about how the bike felt, you know, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I'm like getting in a new wheel set or swapping out tires or getting a new handlebar, um, constantly thinking about, you know, how how that 
product is, is having an effect on how the bike rides. Um, so that's really cool. Um, getting like, you know, insights into how I can change my setup, either to like make it faster or to make it more comfortable or to make the setup better for certain riding conditions. Um, so yeah, I guess it's, it's made me like switch on a bit more in that, in that yeah. regard. Do you get friends calling you and saying, uh, Jesse May, I'm looking for a new drive tree and what do you what do you suggest? Do you get all that kind of stuff? Yeah, um <laughs> pretty much get anything. Um but I try not to do too much of that sort of thing. Like um yeah, generally I generally re- review uh, I don't generally test and review everything myself. Um, I think that's important for consistency in terms of bike rumor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've definitely given products to some of my friends who, if, if, if I perhaps like feel like I need a second opinion on something, because um, yeah, I've got a few friends whose whose opinion I I value very highly when it comes to when it comes to. Um, bike components and things so it's always good mm. to get a second opinion from them if i think something's really cool or if i think something's not so good um <laughs> yeah yeah it's interesting you know i've had a few mechanics on the podcast and um they spend most of their week or their week evenings working on their friends bikes you know what i mean it's <laughs> and it can kind of get that idea with you you know you've tested all these products so if one of your friends is looking for you know what new bars to get or what new brakes to get or tires to get you know that you'll be the first person they'll call you know and ask yeah, your yeah, advice I do get a lot of people <laughs> asking me um for advice it's a lot about yeah. tires actually it's always very fussy about the tires eh? yeah um, tires are th- that conversation will never go right you know the tire and the wheel size that's here forever well i don't know you know everyone seems to be going 29 of these days yeah they are do you think the mullet soon thing will saying, stick about soon they'll be saying 650 ain't dead <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah for sure um do you think the mullet thing will come mainstream or is that just a bit of a, a fad people are going through no i think i think that will become mainstream um really wow i think whether it's evidence-based or not it will become mainstream because you know brands always need uh new products to sell and if you know if the mullet setup is the new on-trend setup, yeah they're gonna make mullet bikes um but uh yeah i i that's not to say that i don't think it can work because i because i do um in fact i was i did a bike check with katie winton this morning because she's just got her new nuke proof giga mm-hmm. um what she's done is she's running a 29 inch front triangle with a 650b rear end um and that's how she's mulleted it because right. it's generally meant to be a 29 inch bike but um for her with her being pretty short i think she's she won't mind me saying <laughs> i think i think she's five foot one maybe mm-hmm. um so i think for her having having the option to have the small wheel at the back is is a pretty important um and i, I mean isabel could cordurier went and proved that setup in uh Zermatt last year i mean she she was running um 29 inch bike and now she's now she's uh, running the lapier zesty as a mullet um, and still absolutely dominating. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's not like it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, you know, I think it's, I think, you know, certainly I can't see why it wouldn't work. It makes sense to me totally. Um, and any of the local guys here I know that have done it, um, love it. They're into it. They enjoy it. You know, it just means you have to carry two different sizes of tubes with you. That's the only problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as the bike industry goes, um, like how healthy do you think it is at the minute? Are you are you quite stoked with it at the minute? Yeah, well, it's in a it's in a 
pretty strange time really isn't it because yeah well you know during the lockdowns the uptake in cycling has been you know incredible there's, there's a lot more people in general in the sport now um we've got a lot of new riders so demand has gone through the roof but of, of course the uh component manufacturers just haven't been able to keep up especially with the delays they've experienced in yeah in producing so um it, like it is in a healthy place in that there's, there's now a much bigger market to serve um but it's going to be probably six months to a year before uh, production catches up with uh with everything yeah it's pretty crazy we've seen a few product launches delayed because of the coronavirus crisis Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, it was it's, it's been better than we thought. We we did think everything would you know product launches would kind of grind to a halt. But but yeah, most major brands have, have plowed on. Um, yeah, yeah, you're still getting the stuff to review. Um, I'm sure you were a bit nervous about that. You wouldn't really have anything for bike groomer. There wouldn't be much stuff coming through as far as new tech and stuff like that. Yeah, just for a short period of time, and then we realised that actually the industry were just going to plow on with their new products. And um, yeah, I've still had plenty of stuff to test. Um, I always have trouble getting test bikes anyway uh, because I ride I ride a small, so most okay. of the media test bikes that they reserve um, uh, are mediums and larges. But yeah, I've still I've, I've been fine. I've been fine. There's been been lots of product to test anyway yeah cool cool do you enjoy your job at bike rumor i'm sure you do like was it something when you get into bikes that you wanted to do did you want to move in that kind of career direction um well i've always thought it's a really cool job but i never really thought it would ever become like an option for me yeah um i was doing an internship with the mountain bike center of scotland and that was when I met Zach, who's one of the editors at Bike Rumor. Um, he was in Scotland for a Polygon downhill launch. Um, so I kind of got to know him during that time. And he, yeah, that was when he offered, offered me some writing jobs. Um, and I kind of bit his hand off because I thought, yeah, that would be amazing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love the job. It's it really suits the kind of lifestyle that I want to have. It allows me to ride my bike pretty much all the time. Um, so it marries really well with the kind of the training that I'm doing at the moment. Um, yeah, the more I train, the better rider I become, the more kind of the better, the better my, my reviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it, can, it goes hand in hand. It helps your job and helps your your racing career and everything else yeah it's perfect i feel like super super lucky to have found this yeah cool (laughs) (laughs) Um, let's chat a little bit about your training it's a good segue into that like what's your training schedule like what kind of stuff do you do um i spend a lot of time on the bike um or at least i did in the very beginning with my training um I was sent out to do just lots of miles um, on a regular basis to kind of get that base level training because mm-hmm. I've never really, you know, I'm talking like a year. I'm, I started training maybe like a year and a half ago. Before that, I just rode for fun two or three times a week. Um, so, yeah, I had, I had very little like base fitness and it was like, right, go out and put, put the miles in. Um, mm-hmm. Were those miles on the road or were they on trails? No, nah, they were all on trails. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've done a little bit of road riding as part of my training, but more to kind of mix things up more than anything. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the road riding, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah. And did you go to a specific trainer to do that, or was it something you just, you done yourself? Yeah, um, I don't think I would have been capable of sticking to a training program that I kind of designed myself. Um, I uh, work with... Um, a sports scientist called um, Professor Geraint Florida James. Um, he lives in Inleith and he's coached. He's been coaching mountain bikers for years. Um, most recently, kind of high-profile riders 
are Katie Winton and Louise Buchanan. Mm. Um, but also Chris Ball and uh, Rooney, Rooney Cunningham and um, folks like that in mm-hmm. the past. So I, I knew uh, I knew all of him and, and I knew that I knew that him he'd done some good work. So yeah, I worked with him. Been working with him for for the last year and a half. Um, and uh, yeah, we don't do. I know you see on Instagram all the time, folks lifting heavy weights. Everyone's got like magnificent home gym setups with, you know, big inflatable balls and elasticated bands and all this kind of equipment. And um, I don't use any of that. Uh, he, he doesn't. He doesn't recommend I use any of that. Most of what we do is body weight based conditioning sessions so a lot of plyometrics lunges step ups an absolutely insane number of press ups things like that um mm. but, you know i never never lift any any heavy weights yeah but it seems it seems to be seems to be what everyone else does so <laughs> but, um, <laughs> i'm often thinking oh all of these pros are doing big like deadlifts and squats and you know maybe maybe we're doing it all wrong and I've, I've gone back to my trainer and said this to him and he's yeah he's like just, just trust me this is the process this is yeah plan you're on and this is gonna work and I mean to be honest like I'm so much fitter and stronger and faster than I've ever been um so it's definitely whatever we're doing is definitely not wrong yeah. Um, and I think when, when you're on a when you're on a training plan and um and it's hard, you're putting in the hard yards. You have to believe that what you're doing is the best thing to do. Um, you ha- you have to have that frame of mind. Otherwise, it could be very difficult to to stick to it. If you start yeah. doubting yourself, you know, you're like, oh, I've got to go out and do an interval session now. You can't be. You can't be second guessing it. You have to. You have to just go out and give every session 100%. Otherwise, it's, there's no point, you know. Yeah. No. Definitely. There'd be nothing worse than you know busting yourself and thinking this isn't even working. That would be shockingly hard to motivate yourself to do it. You would never stick at it if that yeah, was the no, case. Yeah. No. You'd fail. You'd fail. So, and you know, I do trust my coach. That I do trust that he knows what he's doing um uh so i don't you know try, try not to question it and just get it done tick tick it off day by day and um and I've, I've i've seen really good results with it you know obviously not actual race results because we've not been able to race but <laughs> you know you know yourself when you when you're riding well you feel yeah strong. yeah and you know i suppose the course was specific to you he's designed it specifically around you your needs your strengths your weaknesses that kind of thing so you know and he, he does that that's what he does for 11 right so you got you got to know that whatever he's given you is the right thing he knows what he's talking about even if your brain's saying nah why is everybody else lifting hard weights now heavy weights and i'm not you know it's <laughs> yeah it would be difficult yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you see the amount of money that people spend on, you know, kitting out their home gyms, and I just, I just do like, I just do my plyometrics in my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, like, I use barely any equipment whatsoever, so mm-hmm. not, it's not very Instagrammable, put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it works. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, do you enjoy that side of it? Do you enjoy the training side of it? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, um, I really thrive off having the routine of getting up and getting out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, it really sets me up for the day, you know. It makes me a lot more efficient when I then get in and sit down and uh, do the writing for Bike Rumour. Um, yeah. What yeah. time do you get up at in the morning? Uh, between 7, 7.30. I've got a dog as well, so she gets walked before I do anything. Okay. Yeah, so it's not crazy. It's not like this half fives kind of stuff you hear about from lots of people. <laughs> no, no. Um, I'm often then, you know, I mean, I could get up that early if I wanted to finish work earlier, but it's it's not uncommon for me to still be at the desk at 8, 9 p.m. 
sometimes. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. But it's worth it. To me, it's worth it to be able to get up every morning and go out and do what I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think sometimes these systems that are set up to get you up super, super early, it's so hard to keep that going that you find in you know two three months that you just end up getting up later and later and later and later and then all of a sudden you're getting up at half seven or eight anyway so (laughs) you know um you have to enjoy it as well you know that i think that's what the point i'm trying to make there's no point making it so horrible that you just have no love for the thing at all at least uh you're doing what you're doing you're getting up at a reasonable time you know, and it's allowing you to do other things. Um, at least you enjoy it, and you're going to stick at it. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I've reached a point which, you know, this is sustainable. I could do this for a good few years, and uh, and still enjoy it. Um, you know, the the training is hard enough, so I'm not going to make myself get up at stupid o'clock in the morning. I, I kind of I get up at a, you know, reasonable hour. I sit and have a cup of tea in bed and then I take the day on. (laughs) I I just ease myself in, you know, because I know that I'm about to go out and hurt myself, basically. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Now, let's chat a little bit about the Dirt Fund project um, and how that all came about. It's a pretty amazing thing the guys are doing there. How did you hear about it Um, and how did you come about being funded the the thousand pounds? Uh, so my friend um, Will Clark is the mountain bike coordinator for um, Aberdeenshire. He works with an organisation called Developing Mountain Bike in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's a good friend of mine, and he uh, he told me about it. We just like pinged me a message on Instagram. He's like, "Have you seen this?" Um, and I hadn't, so I went in and had a look, and I was like, "Whoa, what's the catch?" <laughs> <laughs> how does this work <laughs> what you just ask for money and then maybe they give it to you like kind of thing um I, yeah never seen anything like it before like oh that's it's just really cool isn't it what they're doing like amazing like kind of getting people to collectively help privateers i was just I'm just i'm just so humbled by the generosity of folk to be honest yeah um, so i applied back in i think it was november um and uh, I just, yeah, sent an email telling them who I am, what I'm about, and then just completely forgot about it, thinking, oh, there's hundreds of people going to apply. Um, I've not really got much of a chance to get anything, just forgot about it for months and months and months. Um, and then just got a message out of the blue on Instagram from Daniel, who runs the project. Like, morning. Thanks, <laughs> <I was like, laughs> He's like, congratulations, you're our Welsh privateer. And it's like, this can't be real. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that made my week. Um, yeah, just couldn't believe it, really. Yeah, so, it's amazing. And you're the first female to be funded as well. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I guess I am, yeah. Yeah. Like, what difference do you think that £1,000 will make to your 2021 season, if hopefully we get there? But let's just say we do. What difference do you think it will make? Um, well, it's it's gone towards uh, uh, my new bike. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've bought a Rebel Rail uh, 650 Enduro bike. Um mm-hmm. So I've, I've bought that through my the, the bike shop that support me. That's uh, Bespoke Cycles and Peebles. They've supported me for a few years now. Um, so yeah, bought a bike through them. So it's kind of just going to go towards that, really. Mm-hmm. The bikes are expensive, so huge help. Massive help. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, And this is the thing, you know... <sighs> I don't know if you have any other sponsors there at the minute, but mostly the sponsors will just give you equipment and gear, which is amazing on its own. But there's very little sponsors until you're at a high level, obviously, will give you kind of cash. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. You know, so I'm sure the Dirt Fund project is, is going to, I think they have sponsored five now. So I'm, I'm sure it's going to help so many people. Like, 
you know, and it allowed you to put that towards your bike, which makes a huge difference because you can then put that money that you ha- you were going to sink into the bike into something else. May it be travel, may it be yeah, food, ex- you know. Yeah, yeah, because it's not cheap, right? This fund, this privateer thing is not cheap to fund at all. No, it's extortionate, actually. Um, I've seen some of the some of the pros when they were entering uh, all of the EWS races for this season. Their bill was like fifteen hundred pounds, and that's just to enter the races. What? Before you even think about actually getting anyway. <laughs> It, it is it is nuts you know and there's so much goes into it and there's so many expenses you know accommodation food travel reassentry components it just it's a bottomless pit as far as that stuff goes like so jesse may tell us um for somebody getting involved in mountain biking a girl getting involved in mountain biking how do you think it's best to go about that so i guess I got involved trail riding through social group, um, regular social group that was going out that I could join. So um, there, there is a, there is, does seem to be a big focus on Scottish Women's Enduro, sadly back to 22, but also the Hope Tech Women's Enduro. So there is, there is a bit of a focus on getting women to do women's only events. Um, yeah, that's not to say that can only do a women's specific enduro like if you can make any enduro your first enduro or you know go riding with any group um mm-hmm. but uh i don't know aside from that i mean i know the mtb chicks and trails facebook group gets a ton of traffic um i know like you know people post on that asking for advice on whether it's advice on where to ride or what bike to ride or, you know, just looking for friends in the area who you can go riding with. I know a lot of people use it for that and it works. You know, there's always a ton of comments on those posts. So I think that's, I think that's a really good place to start, actually. MTV Chicks Trails Facebook page, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're right. And, you know, from talking to other people on the podcast about a similar subject, you know, I think the the mountain bike clubs and stuff are, are a good place to start and just try and figure out who in your area is going out and if you can connect yeah. and ride with them. And everybody will be more than welcome you to come out and ride with them, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the community is, like, definitely welcoming. Um, yeah, everyone's always keen to have more pals to ride with, so... Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So, before I let you go, let's chat a little bit just about your race goals. Do you set any goals or anything like that for the season? Um, I have stopped setting specific goals. Um, that's mainly to preserve my mental health, given that <laughs> races aren't happening. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's a bit of a risk to say, I want to win this race and I want to do really well in that race when you don't even know whether they're actually going to happen. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, I I have allowed myself to hope and pray that the Tweed Valley EWS goes ahead in October. I think by that time, we should be in a good position in terms of vaccinations mm-hmm. in Europe. Um, so really, really hoping and praying that one goes ahead. Uh, so yeah, I just want to put in a good race there um it would be unrealistic for me to expect anything you know incredible given given that i'll be seated right at the back um so even if i'm riding you know really well and, and i'm going going faster than lots of people um the at the end of the day i'm going to be seated at the back and gonna have to overtake people and the, the tracks around here are pretty narrow so i don't know how much opportunity there would be for that but yeah. Um, I guess my goal is to is to is to race as as many to to race that and to race as many kind of local national enduros as I can and um yeah just just to feel that I'm riding much better than 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 I have done previously I'd, you know I'd really love to win some national enduros this year and um I think I've got it in me but, yeah uh, praying for the opportunity. 
Yeah, cool. What about the EWS series? Um, is that a, a kind of platform you enjoy being around? Uh, yeah, so that my I rode my first and only one in Zermatt mm-hmm. last year, kind of at the height of the pandemic. So, um, it I don't know if you saw any coverage of that race, but it was a very unusual race. It was like the shortest ever EWS race in history, um, and that was because not because of the pandemic, but because of mm. the weather. Yeah, it was it was nuts, wasn't it? It was so wet. Yeah, so I was there in the run-up to the race like the week before and it was like beautiful blue skies, really warm, dusty trails, just perfect conditions and then Friday night arrives and like just it just turned into winter. And there was actually like snow lying on the trails. But by the time we got to Sunday morning, race morning, it's just yeah, they had to close it was gonna be a four stage event and then they turned it into a two stage event and then they took one of those stages and they cut it in half because there was too much snow lying on the, the top of the mountain so um mm. and also on race morning they had to delay it by like three and a half hours as well to, to just to get all the kind of um the rescue teams all the paramedics in place on the hill Cheers. Um, and they didn't know whether they were going to be able to fly the, the helicopters and things like that so it wasn't it wasn't an ideal first EWS experience no kind of feel like kind of feel a bit robbed in that respect so um yeah hoping to get some better experiences than that soon yeah and it, there was no spectators or anything like that one either was there no no none at all the race village was like a ghost town yeah, yeah. weird really weird yeah well it can only get better <laughs> <laughs> good yeah. stuff um, well listen how can people find out more about you Jesse May and uh, get in contact via socials and stuff like that uh, I'm on Instagram at Jesse May Morgan um, and uh, yeah and if you want to follow any of my writing just head to bike rumour yeah cool they'll hear plenty from you there yeah that's good. Well, listen, thanks so much, Jesse May, for coming on. It's been a pleasure to chat to you. You're more than welcome. And listen, I know all your racers are really missing that the racing isn't going ahead at the minute. So I hope uh, I hope you get out racing between the between the tape some stage very, very soon. Hopefully hopefully they, by the end of the summer we might see some some other things opening up and hopefully we can get going. Yes. That would be great. I'm absolutely desperate to get between the tape. <laughs> for sure yeah well listen good luck with the rest of the year and if you don't get racing good luck with 2022 um it'll be a crazy year if nothing happens until then there'll be so many people raring to go it'll be nuts but good luck with it all right yeah we'll have a big party <laughs> sounds good sounds good take care all right thanks very much gareth that's a wrap for episode 190 i hope you enjoyed that folks and i hope you enjoyed listening to jesse may's story the girl rips and she's got plenty going on in the race scene and plenty going on in the mountain biking scene through bike rumor and stuff so definitely check out her socials and see what's happening now jesse may i just want to say a big thank you for coming on the podcast i really did enjoy our chat and it was great to get you on the show and learn a little bit more so good luck for 2021 if the race season goes ahead i know you're absolutely just chomping at the bit to get the two wheels on those trails and in that competitive environment so hopefully it happens in 2021 if not you'll be raring to go on 2022 so good luck for that and i will be keeping an eye and seeing how you're getting on throughout the season Now, folks, if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to show your support, the best way is by subscribing, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Every one of your ratings helps boost us on Apple's algorithms and helps spread the good word about the show to more people. Now, if you're not on Apple, you can find and subscribe via Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to your podcasts from. We also have a website, mtb-tribe.com, where you can find the complete bike catalogue, listen and download every show from there for free. The website also includes show notes that you can read a little bit more and get quick and easy links to get in contact with the guests. 
You can also subscribe via the website and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the podcast. You can get involved on social media at MTB Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. You can PM me there if you want to get in contact or if you prefer the old fashion method, I'm available via email at mtb-tribe.com. Well, that's all I have for you this week, folks. So until next week when we will have another exciting guest for you on the podcast, as always, get the bikes out, hit the trails, stay MTB stoked.